Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Chat with the Designers, your live, online, interactive weekly magazine for hams, homebrewers, and experimenters around the fruited plains. This is December 10th, 2013, and this is your host, George N2APB, along with co-host Joe N2CX. And tonight, as I say every every episode, this is especially true. We have a fabulous, fabulous program here for you. And uh, before we get into it, Joe and I wanted to kind of uh, explain what um, a new mode, a new era, a new a new way of being is coming about here on Chat with the Designers. And uh, that is uh, the Chat with the Designers for projects. Over the last two years, what we've been doing is covering just about every aspect that we could have thought of relative to aspects of electronics and ham radio and operating and antennas and grounding, QRP, transmitters, receivers, receiver sensitivity, power measurement, you name it. And uh, I think we got the bases covered, to tell you the truth. And uh, instead of kind of searching around, flailing around sometimes in the in the uh, days and week before the every show, what we wanted to do was to focus on something as again that is very near and dear to our hearts, and that is projects. What Joe and I started off by doing way back in uh, oh gosh, <laughs> Joe, I when did we start really connecting on our our SBI, our scathingly brilliant idea breakfast? Uh, it's got to be ten, twelve years ago. Yeah, probably so. What a while. Sometime after the Haley Mills movie. Yeah, that's right. If, uh, if uh, it's scathing, scathingly brilliant was a uh, Haley Mills uh, comment back in, uh, I think, The Parent Trap. No, that was a long time ago. I think Terry's the only one who really knows the details in that one. We'll, we'll hold off on that for a bit. But uh, back then, we uh, we got together and we talked about projects, different projects we've got on our bench, pr- different projects we want to be doing. And um, long story short, that evolved into this particular discussion group, the chat with the designers. And uh, we decided, well, let's let's talk about our projects, like with everybody um, kind of on board listening and, and participating. And maybe they'll find it interesting. Maybe we could get some tips and techniques and ideas and new part ideas from everybody participating along the way. And and it sort of did. But we also kind of evolved over the last two years into more of a uh, um, kind of a call it a training or a uh, information sharing, which was very good. I think we think a lot of great feedback from everybody about this, but it was a uh, ticking up a lot of time. And as I said, we, we sort of covered the basis. So we're coming back to roots, as they say, and we're focusing on projects, different projects that are on our bench that are of interest to us. And we hope that would be of interest to others uh, as a result. Projects that happen to be current in the QRP community in which we all participate. Projects that we started, but didn't necessarily finish. Projects like the Arduino Remote Control Accurate Clock. I forgot the, the real title, but uh, that is one cool project. And I am I am particularly uh, interested in finishing that off, bringing it to a kit phase for those group, uh, those people here in this group, um, or low cost, little margin type of project that uh, you can use, that you can do there and finish off on your own uh, based on the following that you've done. Oh, there, there, there's a, a bunch of them that we have kind of queued up that we didn't finish. We're going to do that. So kind of along that line, what we, uh, Joe and I particularly, have been had our eye on a group called the Poor Ham Scalar Network Analyzer group there on Yahoo, the P-H-S-N-A, Poor Hams Scalar Network Analyzer group. And this was something that we're going to be talking about here today, the, the honchos, the, the big drivers, the... Uh, the big names behind that particular project are here with us tonight, and we thank you guys very, very much for that. 
And in a, in a moment, I'm going to kind of toss it over to you, Jim and Jerry, and we can almost deal with this as a uh, a bit of a an interview type of scenario. So hopefully everybody who's listening on the podcast downstream or live right here on the show tonight will be able to take advantage of uh, your particular insights and uh, the goals that you had in kind of putting this project together and where you're where you're driving it, where where it's uh, evolving to, how one can hop in there and take advantage of it and play along. Uh, different adaptations along the way, what you can do with a scalar network analyzer, what is a scalar network analyzer, and uh, kind of everything in between. So we're going to have some fun here tonight, folks. And for those of you who are first-time listeners, what we have is, uh, after my little monologue thing here is, is done, is uh, is a real, we, we like to feel it's a very interactive type of uh, setting where you can blink your light, sort of like I was just doing, get the attention of whoever is talking, and then uh, you can grab the mic, as it were, and ask your question, toss in your two cents, share your experience with this particular technology or this particular project, and I hope... I see some call signs here that I've seen on the um, the Poor Hamscaler Network Analyzer Yahoo group, and I'm very, very pleased to have you guys here tonight. So we hope to have this be a good, big roundtable, informational. We're not going to get into the nitty-gritty current and, and phase relationships on one component or another. We just don't have the time because we're going to be dealing within an hour or so from now, we'll be shutting down. So the purpose of this here is to go through and overview the project and kind of get excited about it. I think Jim is, is getting ready for some... Uh, uh, some more circuit board, another circuit board run, perhaps. Uh, I don't want to spill the beans at all. I'll let him kind of share that. But there will be a chance for you guys who don't yet have the, the boards or any of the components collected to be participating on this as well. So uh, fasten your seatbelts, dig in, grab that extra cup of coffee that you've got, finish up your dinner, give the dog a boot out the door, close the door, turn, take the phone off the hook and kind of relax. We're going to have some good time here tonight. Joe, do you... Uh, have some stage setting uh, guidance here for us here as far as network analyzers and just what what the uh, the big picture before we dive into it with Jim and Jerry. Sure, thank you. Uh, good evening, all. Network analyzers uh, I, I've used professionally. Um, they're often a, uh, quite a big deal. They're they're fancy instruments you use to to characterize something. Uh, you look at the, the world as a as a black box with inputs and outputs. And a network analyzer applies some sort of stimulus to this and looks at the response. You get very, very fancy with um, uh, vector network analyzers, VNAs. I'm sure if um, if you've read in QST or looked on the lists recently, you've seen a number of vector network analyzers, which are very, very sophisticated devices that look at um, let you look at um, not only through parameters, uh, you look at frequency response or phase response or something, but you can also look at scattering parameters, which is um, um, reflection, reflection coefficient that's uh, complex, that is, has real and imaginary parts. A uh, simpler, much more practical thing for ham use is what's called a scalar network analyzer, which simply applies a uh, an input signal, some sort of, uh, in our, in our um, realm, some sort of RF signal, puts it through a black box or whatever filter amplifier, and then looks at the output response, looks at the amplitude. A lot simpler to build something like that. Um, and if you're looking at um, an amplifier or uh, perhaps a filter or whatever, it lets you look at the frequency response of this and uh, get a very good idea about what's going on. If you're building filters, um, 
of any sort, including crystal filters. It's invaluable to be able to measure the frequency response of the filters. And um, a scalar network analyzer is a very simple way of doing this, getting a good pictorial look at exactly what's happening in that black box. And um, indeed, this uh, 4HAMS SNA is just such a device, bringing uh, much of the power you would get with professional instruments into, uh, into the hands of uh, every ham and uh, learning something about Arduinos and uh, RF circuits along the way. So in addition to being a handy instrument, it's also a good learning experience. Um, back to you, George. All right, Joe, thanks. And I might add, too, that uh, Joe and I, Joe especially, has had a fascination, uh, almost a career-long fascination with measuring stuff. And in, gen in specific here in the ham world and the QRP world, uh, he, he's known for his Joe's quickies, simple, easy projects to build up and use on the bench for measuring things, testing things, uh, characterizing things. And I caught that bug from him uh, many years ago, over a decade ago. And, and it's been our quest to be um, exploring the different uh, things that are good enough uh, to build in order to measure. Uh, you don't have to have always an HP yada yada type of instrument in order to get good enough measurements to do our work here in the ham world and the QRP world and oftentimes lower end instrumentation is easier to build, less uh, demanding on, on uh, performance and thus uh, uh, maybe a little bit quicker and easier and cheaper for us to build up uh, ourselves. So that that drives a lot of the things that we do and, and enjoy as well. Okay, let's uh, let's get down to let's get down to the uh, to business here at hand. Uh, I, I want to really welcome uh, Jim N5IB and Jerry W5JH with us here tonight. The uh, the honchos behind the uh, the Poorham Scalar Network Analyzer, also known as the Simple Scalar Network Analyzer (SSNA). So uh, maybe let, let's start off just by having you guys introduce yourselves a little bit. Jim, where where do you live? How long you been a ham? What what are your main interests there on the uh, um, on your bench there in, in the ham radio world? Uh, thanks, George. Yeah, this, this is uh, Jim N5IB. And uh, let's see, uh, I'm retired from uh, LSU, where I uh, taught physics for uh, 25 years to engineers. Uh, prior to that, worked in the real world out in the petrochem industry for a while. And prior to that, actually taught electrical engineering at LSU uh, while I was uh, seeking uh, a more advanced degree and finally fled when the uh, petrochems offered me a lot more money than uh, the academia was. But I returned to what I like, which was teaching. So I uh, taught for 25 years. Live in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, of course, LSU. You and uh, I've been a ham. Let's see, this past September uh, celebrated 50 years. And uh, the principal interest, I, I, I'm a QRPer. I became a QRPer oh, more than a decade ago when uh, I got back on the air after my kids were grown enough and really started to enjoy building stuff and uh, designing stuff and, and things like that. So that's kind of my principal interest. So, uh, Jerry, how about you? Well, let's see here. I, uh, my name is Jerry Higwood, and I live in East Texas. East Texas is uh, sort of like a third world country. You know, there's not a whole lot of <laughs> a whole lot of anything around here, so I have to order parts from every from every place I can find that has parts and so on. But my my thing is, I like to build. I I worked as a software engineer for a number of years and have a degree in computer science, and uh, also worked in test equipment design. And so it was kind of, you know, when I get out of, uh, when I got out of work, I mean, uh, when I uh, retired, which was about four years ago, I guess, four, I retired at, uh, I'm trying to think, age 60 or 61, I can't remember now. 
So uh, in being a ham for about 51 or 52 years, I decided, well, I'm going to try to build up my test equipment. And so I, I've been doing that. And so back in uh, May of this year at, at, uh, at Dayton, I decided I wanted a sweep generator because I wanted to be able to look at filters. And so I bought a uh, WaveTech Model 64. Being as dumb as I am, you know, I didn't realize that uh, you cannot sweep a crystal filter very fast and get good results. So the 64, although it can sweep very slow, I did not have a digital storage scope or anything like that to uh, capture the output. So then uh, I, I kind of got the idea, well, maybe we can build something like that. And Jim and I kind of got together, and uh, that's how this project came along. It was out of the, like a lot of these projects, it was out of a need. Uh, go ahead, George. Well, thanks, guys. That's a great introduction, a great setting for uh, where, where we're going here tonight. And I think test equipment, with your background in test equipment, um, gives you probably a really good perspective on things. And um, as far as like what can be measured, how to measure, how to set up a fixture in order to reliably measure a, a low-pass filter or a crystal. Um, Jim, you had mentioned, I think you, I think you had a, uh, you had built up the, uh, oh, the Jim Corchi. Uh, Precision VXO project that we in the New Jersey QRP Club put out a, a while back in conjunction with Jim. And Jim also had a crystal test fixture. Wasn't that kind of cumbersome to, to, to put together and use? Yep, actually, that's uh, sort of the impetus for all this. I, I like to say this project uh, began by uh, committing one of the seven deadly sins, but unfortunately it wasn't one of the fun ones. It was sloth. <laughs> I was using the Precision VXO and the test fixture and wanted to go through, characterize some crystals. And after I'd sit in there and laboriously uh, copied down uh, readings and moved them over to plot and do all the things to do the calculations, I decided there's got to be a, a better way to do this. And uh, Steve Weber, uh, just uh, eight, uh, KD5JV, had about that time announced he was a little, ar uh, not Arduino, but it was a, a, another uh, Atmel project he was working with, to do a very full-featured uh, VFO, making use of the DDS modules that that were very inexpensively available from uh, offshore sites. And uh, I, I bonded with Steve a little bit, and I tried to sort of poke and prod him to, uh, to do a sweep generator. And uh, he was commenting that uh, you, know, you can't really sweep too fast, and you wouldn't be you need a persistent scope to be able to show the the output. And uh, and I just never could quite uh, goad him enough to get it going. So I said, oh well, I want to learn how to do this Arduino stuff anyway. And the idea was to take the smarts, the display, the interface, all this stuff, just put it on the PC. Everybody's got a PC of some sort to fool with. Just make the box a control box and let the computer take care of the user interface. And uh, that's where it began. And uh, it really was pick some things that were easily and inexpensively available. Uh, the DDS little boards that you could get for five or six bucks, the Arduino processors you could get for, you know, 25, 20, I guess they're about 25, 29 bucks depending. We actually found some cheaper ones we'll probably mention later on. And uh, the, the part that I did was really little more than uh, add the piece that matters the two together and then Jerry uh, went through with the attenuators and the amplifier and the filters and so on to sort of clean up the things in between and, and pull it all together. Uh, he built up the actual first prototype that functioned as a network analyzer. Uh, my first prototype was just a sort of a proof of concept. Can you send the signal out? Can you get it back in? Can you digitize it and display it? And that works. So after that point, we decided uh, we'd take it a little further and, and the rest is what we have here. Go, go back over to you, George. 
That's really interesting, Jim. So if I have it, if I have it right, uh, just kind of in gross, uh, gross sense, you you kind of uh, had a little bit uh, command and control over the Arduino and the architecture of the uh, of the unit as a as kind of a um, a controlled box um, or at least a control head and the DDS that goes in there. Jerry was uh, focusing a little bit on the attenuator, the amplifier, and the filters. And then uh, ultimately getting whatever test results over to the PC and uh, and uh, ultimately processed in some fashion for display. Do I have that right? So, Joe, um, what do what do uh, I guess Arduino is the first thing that I'd like to kind of chat about here. We've touched on a little bit of uh, the Arduino in the past uh, episodes, and there's a there are a number of different kinds of um, models and uh, ways for uh, working it as a standalone unit, but also in conjunction with the PC, there's that, that um, what do they call it, a serial console window, Joe, that allows the Arduino to essentially communicate and, with the PC and have that console be the user interface, right? Yeah, and I was going to mention uh, in looking at the schematic diagram we have, which is from the PHSNA thing, it's unfortunate it doesn't show the serial interface on the schematic, although it does on the black diagram. That is the way the thing is controlled, as I as I understand it. Indeed, Jim, uh, maybe yeah, this Jim here. Sure, go ahead. Okay, yeah, I was about to comment on that. Yes, that's the way it's controlled with the uh, the the USB port connection to the, the Arduino, and on the PC it looks like a COM port. I didn't put it on the schematic because uh, it it really is not anything that we connected. You just plug it in like you do the the uh, Arduino in the normal fashion. We did discover, and this was sort of Jerry's discovery, is we were trying to do the uh, the user interface, you know, keyboard interface, be able to set up the parameters that that uh, serial window that Arduino provides in their development environment was really very just tedious to use and it was sort of a, my hint to well, let's try one of these just plain old garden variety terminal programs like term 232 or TerraTerm or HyperTerm or something and uh, Jerry then took that and ran with it to figure out how to get all the keyboard input back and forth so that uh, that you could actually control the thing. Turns out that the Arduino's keyboard dialogue methodology is, is pretty primitive and it's, it's tough to do things very sophisticated so I'll sort of put my plug in right now that I'm hoping someone here listening yeah skilled and experienced uh, visual basic uh, code writer and uh, might undertake to write a user interface for this thing in visual basic I think that might be great fun George <laughs> all right that sounds like a really interesting challenge there Jim there are a couple of guys here that uh, that could probably take up that challenge and we'll see what we can make of it as well um, so I found it pretty interesting, uh, your comment about, uh, well, let me back up again for those, I don't want to get too much into uh, inside baseball, as they call it, too much of the inside details. Um, but uh, in essence, of course, when the Arduino is one programs, first of all, one programs the Arduino, one has a serial port connected from the PC to the Arduino in which, uh, over which the uh, the program that you've developed on the PC gets downloaded and run on, uh, installed on, on the Arduino. And then, and the issue that we're talking about here, um, the software that's being run can essentially talk over that serial port and uh, 
be uh, reflected. Um, it's, text can be reflected. User input can be input over a little serial console window that it opens up. It doesn't have to be all the time, uh, but this is just one method of user input output. And uh, I guess I didn't realize uh, the limitations that you guys saw with that serial console and something that drove you to be considering, Jerry, the uh, a terminal emulator, like um, I think Jim mentioned, uh, TerraTerm, and there was something else. And I use uh, Indigo for Windows 7. It's, it's really nice. But a terminal emulator is something you turn to, Jerry? Yeah, yeah, we... Uh... Uh, Jim actually picked out one he liked, and I tried it, and I kind of liked it, too. It's called Term 232. We we had the need, George, to capture a file. You know, you want to plot the data afterwards, and so you have to have a terminal emulator that can also capture a file. And, and one of the problems you run into right away is if you use an external terminal emulator, like we were using on a PC, then the built-in one that's built into the Arduino, it just kind of gets in the way, so yeah, you you can't you can't use both of them. It doesn't understand how to switch between the two. So so anyhow, we uh, so we decided we'd do everything with an external terminal emulator, and uh, it actually works out pretty well. There, there's been some further development, and I don't know who the guy was, but person was, but I I think Jim does, who has written a program that actually captures the data directly into a spreadsheet. So instead of capturing into a file and then loading into a spreadsheet, it gets captured directly into it, which is kind of slick. And uh, But that, that was the reasoning for the uh, for the uh, Tarmal emulator, uh, George. And uh, we have that very person here. That's uh, Jack. Uh, let's see. I think he joined in with us here. Yeah, W0FNQ. So, uh, George, at some point, you might want to get Jack to tell a little bit about that. Okay. Well, good. Welcome, Jack. Nice to have you here with us, and nice to meet you. Um, and I was studying your uh, your Excel program. That is amazing. I don't want to put the cart any further before the horse than we already have and, and maybe kind of confuse people. So let me take a couple of steps backwards. We'll come back to you, Jack, and the data collection and, and so on. And maybe, uh, Jim, I don't know, maybe you can start... Um, what I'd like to do is to have you review what the features and the goals, pretty much on our whiteboard in the first section, what are the goals of the project? What are the features, the main operating capabilities of this thing? What does it do? Um, and uh, just in high-level terms and kind of its capabilities. And then, Jerry, after that, maybe I could ask you to go through the block diagram that's uh, shown below that in yellow, the yellow blocks. If we can kind of segment out the functions that are performed by each block, we can we can all get a good mental image of, <clears throat> of this instrument. And uh, on one hand, the relative simplicity of taking existing modules and combining them, and yet, on the other hand, really combining them for something that is useful inexpensively on the bench. So, Jim, what about the features and the design goals? Oh, okay, George. Yeah, we uh, we wanted something that, first of all, was a signal generator that could be swept over a range. And that range was going to be, of course, limited by the what the DDS. We wanted it to be DDS because we could control that. Uh, that seemed to be an inexpensive way to, of getting a, a decent signal source. Uh, the sweep had to be pullable 
in both the speed of the sweep and the, the step sizes. Uh, sometimes you may be wanting to look at some fairly wideband low-pass filter or something like that, and you really you need to sweep this thing from 1 megahertz to, to 30 megahertz. Other times you may be playing with crystal filter or even single crystals, and you, you want to sweep it over a range that's just a few kilohertz or tens of kilohertz. So the, the step size had to be controllable. Uh, the amplitude had to be large enough so that the means that we had to measure measure the, the response of the device under test uh, was within the realm of the instrument. Uh, since uh, Jerry had some experience uh, working and designing and building some crystal filters, and he commented to me that for a crystal filter, you probably don't want to poke it with more than about minus 10 dBm. So we kind of homed in on that as a level. We'd like to have a, a device that would give you a signal that's roughly at around minus 10 dBm, plus or minus a little bit, relatively constant over the, the band for which the instrument operates, uh, able to be controlled, stepped, you know, swept up, down, and so on. Uh, then we needed some device to measure the response of the device under test, and that's where Wes Hayward's uh, stuff just came, uh, uh, just absolute gift, his, uh, his power meter design using the uh, AD8307 from Analog Devices was just the ticket. Uh, some of you may remember Steve Weber did a bit of that uh, a while back as well, so uh, uh, nothing new on my part. I learned from the folks who are, are really the gurus of this uh, and went on with it. So then it, it, it feature creep started uh, popping in. I said, Jerry, I really just would like also a regular signal generator feature, not necessarily a sweeper, just a signal generator. And, uh, and then we decided we wanted to be able to uh, uh, compensate for the fact that the DDS output is not level over the frequency band, but we've got the smarts of a computer, so we really don't have to do a lot of uh, uh, heavy-duty electronic design for this compensation, we let the software do it. And after all, it's a computer, it can do most anything. So uh, these are some of the, the first ideas that came in. Uh, we figured that for ham use, if we could have a dynamic range of 40, 50, you know, maybe 60 would be wonderful dB, but 50 dB is probably great for most things hams would want to do. And, and then finally, we wanted to keep it inexpensive enough that folks could do it you know, out of their junk box. Uh, wasn't a big investment. I think we finally got it to where uh, if you use the cheaper version of the Arduino and rated your junk box a little bit, you pretty much can build it for somewhere near 50 bucks or so. So uh, that was one of the, the goals, well, to keep it pretty affordable. Uh, I, for one, if it had cost me $200 to do it, I probably wouldn't have done it. Uh, back to you, George. Thanks, Jim. That's a great uh, a great overview. There's a bunch of uh, uh, Joe and I have have been uh, experimenting with all different kinds of uh, circuits, and we've come up with some interesting challenges. And uh, some of the ones some of those are, are reflected sort of in, in your list of uh, features and goals here. Um, Joe, things that come to mind are the dynamic range and you know what is indeed acceptable sweep speed is another one. Jim mentioned that up front too, and um, you know some of the uh, uh, maybe the challenges as far as uh, dealing with small data coming from a log amp. Uh, do you have any comments there, Joe? Yeah, we did uh, do a fair amount of experimenting, and, and I've noticed in on the uh, uh, PHS and A list, uh, other guys have too. The AD8307 and the other uh, detector chips similar to that have uh, obviously a, a very wide dynamic range, but they they also have a wide uh, frequency range, which can get you in trouble. 
Um, you have to be very careful the darn things. That uh, noise, even 60 hertz noise, doesn't kill you. So uh, grounding on the board is uh, the board that it's on is is very important. Um, having components uh, uh, bypassed to a good ground plane on the board, and as the guys have found out, having it in a uh, shielded box makes a big difference in getting the ultimate dynamic range because you don't uh, um, you don't want noise to get in there and, and uh, screw up the bottom end of the readings. Similarly. Um, and I, I think I recall the Arduino has a 10-bit A to D. Uh, since the, the output voltage, the DC out of the uh, detector chip, covers such a wide range, um, the scale factor uh, is uh, it's on the order of uh, 24, 25 uh, millivolts per dB. So you have to have a, um, a good um, A to D converter, analog to digital converter, in order to get the resolution you need to, uh, to get good readings from the chip. If you use an 8-bit A to D, you're very limited because uh, the step size, the resolution, is going to be uh, a problem. So those two, um, those two things have been tackled uh, very carefully and, and uh, done very well with this uh, PHSNA. Good job, guys. Yeah, thank you, Joe. And yeah, I would comment on that. That uh, that was one of the other things that led me to abandon my uh, my initial thought of using just a straight pick and uh, programming the thing in pick and going to the Arduino is having the nice 10-bit A to D and the ability to do the floating point arithmetic in there. So uh, the dynamic range. Well, the theoretical range to the theoretical noise floor of that thing is about minus 85 dB, and then it goes up to maybe plus 10. So you got roughly a 90, 95 dB range that's covered by 1,023 ADC count. So the resolution of the device is about a tenth of a dB. Now, the device isn't that accurate, so we have plenty of accuracy you know, for the, the specified precision of the instrument. So I think that works out pretty well. Indeed, it does. Um, I'll question you a little bit later about some of the grounding on the uh, 8307 board, but uh, uh, that's that's a uh, that's a good job you guys have done, and I do want to talk more about packaging later as well. Back to you, George. Yeah, Joe and I were Joe and I have a whole list of little uh, individual technical um, questions, uh, specific technical questions that we would love to to get your insight on. Um, but we didn't. We wanted to cover some of the the broad stroke stuff first before we get lost in the weeds. And another thing I have noted here too <clears throat> on my list that uh, I don't want to forget uh, is that I see that we have Nick WA5B. Um, oh, shocks! Where'd you go, Nick? Um, BDU. BDU and uh, I was studying your I, I think it was your um, your linear regression uh, calculations there in Excel getting a calibration curve for the uh, for the calibration process there and it was really amazing Joe and I struggled with that in uh, a more limited sense on the processor in the microdino 8 and uh, tackling that problem that Jim you mentioned was the roll off of the DDS is the sync roll-off, sine X over X roll-off that's natural, and combine that with some other electronic anomalies, um, and uh, we've got to compensate for that roll-off. We'll get to that in a little bit, because uh, right now, Jerry, what I'd like to do, if you could kind of walk us through that block diagram, but not just tell us what each of the blocks are, but tell us how it works together, essentially. You know, like you're going to squirt an RF signal out here, and you're going to have that go under your through your device under test, and you're going to read it somehow, and and then you're going to get that data and then represent that data. And well, how does that? Uh, how does the uh, the SSNA work, Jerry? Is this where I'm supposed to say I don't know? No, actually. <laughs> okay. Well, we uh, we chose the Arduino, like Jim said, because first uh, he he says that he likes it because it has floating point. I like it because it programs in C, one of my languages that I prefer. 
And so uh, if you look on the black diagram, you see we talked to the uh, computer through that uh, term 232 program running on the computer, and we talked to the Arduino through uh, the uh, USB port. And so basically we command the Ar uh, the Arduino, you know, once we've uh, set up, we use the computer to set up like the start frequency, the end frequency, and the step size, and then uh, we basically give it a go. <laughs> so we, you know, we say, okay, now do your job. And, uh, and in doing that, uh, the Arduino then uh, starts to program the AD9850. Now, I should say we chose the AD9850 because of the $6 price tag you could get them out of China for. But we ran into a couple of little problems. We found out that the filter on the AD9850 wasn't very good at all. It had a lot of roll-off on it. Maybe, uh, Jim, I'm trying to remember, it was 6 or 7 dB, I think, a roll-off from 1 to 30 Meg, and that's way too much. So we eliminated the filter on the AD9850 by just removing, you know, those little components that are just a little bit bigger than fly poop, you know, those, the, what are, I think they're uh, 0603s or something like that. I forget the size of them, but they're little. And so that, uh, if you notice that we, we take the RF out of the DDS generator, we feed it through our own low-pass filter, and then we buffer it. We have lots of attenuation before the buffer, after the buffer, so on, because some people we decided might want 0 dBm out, or they might want, I don't know, minus 5 or whatever else, you know, plus 5 or something. So we put enough attenuation in that people could choose whatever output they want. You know, we we recommend no more than minus 10 to go into a crystal filter, but if you're going into some other device, you know, a, a low-pass filter or a band-pass filter, you could uh, crank it with whatever you've got power to crank it with. So, And uh, and the device under test, well, most of them are filters, as you know, although I sweep some amplifiers. I want to see what the frequency response is of an amplifier. I've done that several times. And... Uh, <coughs> So a lot of times you're only sweeping a small amount. Like like Jim said before, if you're sweeping a crystal filter, you, you're, you, you're going to lower your step size down to the point where it actually sweeps pretty slow. You can We, we can go down to one hertz step size. That's, that's probably a little ridiculous, but it's, I typically sweep a filter, a CW filter at maybe, oh, I don't know, 10 or, uh, 10 or 20 hertz or something like that per step, which is pretty fine. And then we take the output out of that device, you know, that we're uh, sweeping, and we feed it into Wes Hayward's power meter. Now, if it wasn't for Wes, I'm going to say right here, there would not be a SSNA. <laughs> and what Wes needs all the credit that uh, we can give him because, you know, when was it, uh, 2001 or something like that? I can't forget the date that he designed that, but it's been over 10 years ago he designed that power detector. And someplace along the line, people started to realize what it was, and uh, it works very well. So we take that RF that gets converted to DC. We try to set up the op amp so that we have a uh, no more than five volts coming out of the detector, because that's all the input we have on the Arduino. Anything more in it tends to blow the Arduino. Feed that back into the Arduino we read it with the A to D. Once we got it in the A to D, then we have to correct it as a you were saying there's a correction factor that's been put in, and once that corrector, we corrected it, then we spit it across the serial port to uh, to the computer program and let it capture it into a file. 
And of course, the whole thing repeats itself over and over until it reaches the end frequency that you gave it up front. So you can sweep a small amount or you can sweep a, a large amount, although you might be sitting there for a while if you decide to sweep a large amount with a very small step size. But step size is how we control the speed, basically, uh, George. Is that good enough for you? That's really good, Jerry. Thank you. And this reminds me, Joe has been a, uh, among many things in his long career, he's been a, uh, a systems engineer, an RF systems engineer. But Joe, can you comment on this as a system? Meaning that, uh, as, as both uh, Jerry and Jim were mentioning, you know, each of these modules has certain specifications and limits and, and ranges and, and so on. you got to make this thing work all together. Jerry alluded to it a moment ago by saying, you know, adjusting the, the amplifier such that it doesn't, uh, doesn't output any more than five volts because that's all the Arduino can take. So from a systems engineering perspective, even on something as quote-unquote simple as the circuit might be, um, what are your observations? <laughs> Go on forever about that. Yeah, actually, in the discussions the guys have done of the various pieces, the functions, the specs, and how the blocks fit together, they did a good job of handling the systems aspects, um, taking into account the uh, limitations and the, uh, the the good points of each of the blocks and tailoring each of the blocks so that it um, it grabs it it is, it is provide each block has provided the input it needs in the proper format and within the range it can handle and then provides an output that then drives the next block in the in the uh, in the chain so that everything is kept within range of what it can handle. Um, excellent job in doing that uh, in terms of signal level and in terms of uh, filtering and in places where uh, something might have a limitation for example the um, uh, the DDS board has um, poor the filter on the DDS board they realize that and um, you know put their thinking caps on and said gee we'll incorporate the uh, uh, filter uh, in the low in our low pass filter board to take that into account to handle the, uh, the filtering process and to get a good um, frequency response out of it. Similarly, the buffer amplifier um, has tweakers built into it so that by uh, changing some of the uh, attenuation pads in there, uh, you can adapt the, uh, the output amplitude to what you need. And another good, good thing from a um, uh, system design viewpoint, they have attenuators uh, going into the low-pass filter from the DDS between the low-pass filter and the amplifier, and then on the buffer amplifier output. All this provides um, uh, Amplitude, well, amplitude control, of course, but it also uh, tries to level out everything to uh, 50 ohms so that uh, you don't get any wide impedance changes that uh, that could mess up operation, to, um, particularly with a filter. Um, if you go outside the normal design range, the impedance range, you'll mess up the response. So they did a good job of thinking things through that way. Um, that way. Then on the uh, 8307, um, trying to keep the amplitudes, the uh, signals going into it within the uh, specified range of the 8307 chip, and then coming out, um, assuring that um, the, the signal that it feeds out, the DC that it feeds out back to the Arduino is within range. So it all kind of plays together in keeping every module happy by uh, uh, focusing on inputs and outputs, keeping them uh, within ranges that um, will not drive anything nonlinear, not outside their uh, their sweet spot of uh, operation. And uh, and keeping things happy so that they work well doesn't all happen instantly. Uh, there are definitely iterations in doing this, but um, overall, that's uh, a lot of what systems engineering does: tweaking uh, individual design of individual pieces so that they all play together as a uh, as a uh, coordinated whole. Back to you, George. Well, thanks, Joe. Indeed, the uh, when when a system is not operating is not uh, 
um, working well together at the interfaces or voltage levels and impedances and so on, uh, the, the whole system comes down and it sometimes is a bear to, to figure out what's wrong. So starting off with a lot of the, these considerations in advance and designing them um, the solutions in up front as opposed to trying to correct things after the fact is a is a, the sign of a good design process. Um, Jim, before I hand it over to you and to discuss what I'd, what I'd like to talk about, uh, what I'd like you to talk about in just a moment, uh, I'm going to ask for questions. Uh, but when it comes back to you, what I'd like to talk about is the, the boards, what boards are available, how is the system modularized so that somebody can go get this, get this, get this, get a couple of boards, and then build it up. And then specifically, of course, you've got two different kinds of uh, uh, buffer amplifiers. And uh, if you could just briefly touch on that when I turn it over to you, that'd be good. But before that, um, we've, we've covered a lot of ground so far. And I did say that I wanted to make this interactive. And I wanted to give everybody a chance to uh, to ask a question or clarification or toss in their own two cents if you, if you have some uh, to help the conversation along. And uh, now is the time that you can, uh, can do that. So I'm wondering if anybody has a question of Jim or Jerry, you know, just kind of speak up. Yeah. Okay, Rick, go ahead. Uh, I noticed in the list of uh, design objectives here that you put in uh, having two analog input channels. And I wondered what the purpose of those were. Was that for AM or FM modulation of the signal, or is it uh, for some other purpose? Uh, that was actually done in case you wanted to do something where you would use a pair of power detectors and one to monitor input, one to monitor output, uh, so that you could do ratiometric calculations and display. The, uh, the initial application here, that second input isn't used, but uh, the, the darn thing has five of them, and uh, there was a little room left on the circuit board, so I said, why not bring at least one more? You never know when you might want to read something else. All right. Any other questions? questions uh, uh, Terry, go ahead. Yeah, real quick. Um, that's that's another example, by the way, of what Joe was talking about about the excellent design. I'm I'm pretty impressed. Um, that way, you could do even forward and reflective power, or or a lot of different things with this. Uh, just just one quick comment about those little 9850 modules. Um, beware of the pinout numbering because there are two versions of that 9850 module, and it looks like you guys are using the what I call the small pot and small crystal or small oscillator version, and then there's another version that uses a much larger oscillator, a much larger pot on the board, and the pinouts are physically different and um, electrically different. So just that. Uh, yeah, this Jim again. Uh, and like Jerry said, we, we picked the one, actually it was, it was picked because it was the one I found first. That's a good, good idea for, uh, for an engineering reason why <laughs> we did something. Hit the first one I ran across and it was cheap enough. Uh, and uh, you're right, there's two of them generally available. Uh, the bill of materials that's on the, uh, the Yahoo group uh, site has a, a photograph of the one we're using. So if you're browsing eBay uh, vendors and looking for them, you can find which one it is by observing the photograph. The uh, the one we're using has a double row connector on one end and a sh and a single row connector on the other end on the short dimensions. The the other version that has the the larger blue plastic potentiometer has single row connectors on the long dimensions rather than the short dimensions. Now, as George was alluding to circuit boards, I will let a bit of the cat out of the bag right now that I have been working on the layout that will accept the other uh, kind of the DDS module because I figured there were probably a bunch of those out in people's hands. And the other thing I was a little bit worried about 
about whether one or the other of those modules might uh, end up being unobtainium, and it would be nice to have a fallback to be able to use the other one, George. Well, that's a great, uh, another good system design decision, Jim, and uh, um, I, I've kind of encountered that need before, too. Planning for unobtainium, planning for multiple different versions of a chip or a module. Um, before we move on, Steve, K1RF, you had a question? Uh-oh, no RFs, or no, no uh, vo uh, voice, Steve, so maybe you can uh, revert to uh, sending a text message and we'll get to your question in that way. Um, Jim, what uh, we, we want to move along here. So from the standpoint of modules, um, you can almost see this in some of the photos, and we'll have a chance to walk through those photos in a bit too, but looks like I see a, a, a small handful of modules comprising this system. I see the Arduino, of course, we've talked about. We've been talking about the DDS module. What else is there, and how do the boards kind of connect together? Oh, okay. Yeah, the, the main unit, the uh, the SSNA, as, as we say, that part of it, uh, comprised of three modules, three boards. One is the Arduino. We use the Uno, though you could use others of them. They have the same plug-in footprint. You could use the Mega and some of the others, but the Uno was sort of the, the, the base unit here. And uh, then the DDS module, as we said, the type with the uh, the uh, connectors on the short dimensions, a double row and then a single row. And then in between them, the, the, the center slice of the sandwich is the part that I did. It really is not very much more than a device to, to marry the two connectors from the DDS to the Arduino, make all of the control and signal connections that were necessary, and then hold the, the ancillary circuitry, the low-pass filter, the attenuators, and the buffer amplifier on that board. In addition, there's volt later odds and ends uh, but mostly it, it, it's there to marry the two together if you look on the whiteboard at the picture of prototype number one uh, it's, it's right underneath the schematic diagram. Uh, that one actually is only to marry those modules together. Uh, that one had no low-pass filtering, attenuator, buffers, or anything else like that. It wasn't until prototype number two, which I sent to Jerry uh, as a little homemade circuit board, that we uh, had, had integrated the rest of those features. He built that up and tested it, sort of wrung the bugs out of it, uh, before I finally did the, uh, the, circuit, uh, the, the final circuit board layout. And as you mentioned, uh, George, we have two different kinds of amplifiers on that board. Uh, one uses a conventional bipolar junction transistor, the 2N5109. That's a, it's an amp that Jerry was real familiar with from Wes Hayward's uh, experimental methods and RF design, and he liked it and had good gain and, and nice characteristics. And then we, we got to thinking a little bit, well, you know, there's this 9851 out there that can go a little higher in frequency. And if we do that, then we're kind of asking a lot out of that VJT amplifier. So let's try one with one of the mimics. So that's why there's the mimic version and the, uh, the BJT version of the buffer, George. That's great, Jim. Um, and so the boards, people keep referring to the boards, the board set. Um, <clears throat> one board is the board which holds, as you just summarized, the, the LPF, the buffer amplifier, and some of the control circuits uh, that glue the Arduino and the DDS. What is the other board? Uh, Jim, did you get my question? Uh, yes, I did. It would help if I hit the right key here. You, you're hearing me now? Yeah, I am. 
<laughs> it's the control key, not the alt key, dummy. Okay, now I got it. Uh, the other board is the uh, the 8307 power meter board. And uh, once again, uh, many, many thanks to Wes. Uh, that is not my design. It's, uh, it's not my idea. It's not anything of mine. It is Wes's. And I wrote him and, and asked him if, if he would give his permission to uh, to duplicate and uh, and post the schematic and produce a small circuit board for the the, uh, the design that was published in QST and he very graciously uh, consented to that so that's why those are there the fact that we uh, we did this project as a board set is pure serendipity the uh, the prototyping board house that I was uh, using uh, standardizes their uh, their their prototype as a 10 centimeter by 10 centimeter panel and it turned out that the layout for the, the little middle of the sandwich board that marries the DDS to the Arduino didn't use up that whole 10 by 10 centimeters. There was a whole 3 by 10 centimeters left over. Well, I'm just too darn cheap to pay money for blank circuit board, or, or at least not even use circuit board. So I said, why can't we put something else in there? Turns out we could squeeze the power meter in. So uh, one of those serendipitous events that uh, managed to get us two for the price of one, as it were. I see. And that kind of threw me off a little bit when I first got introduced to the project and started digging in. I kept asking myself, you know, why is the power meter, the W7ZOI power meter, kind of featured with the um, um, with the SSNA all along? It's even pictured together on your the uh, the home page of the of the Yahoo group. And we've, by the way, we've got the power meter board that Jim is referring to, of course, pictured um, again below the schematics, and it's uh, below the picture that. Shows the uh, the ZOI RF power meter and the uh, some of the boards laid out together there on on top of a schematic. So I guess in essence, besides serendipity, uh, one could one could have kind of a manual data collection uh, process, couldn't one? If if the uh, computer program wasn't ready and so on. In fact, this is what Joe and I did with the Micro 908 version with our with our uh, sweeper input card. We actually took numbers. Uh, the RF power reading was done um, by the Micro 908, or in this case here, by the power meter, the ZOI power meter. Could that not be taking the um, the uh, the signal from the D uh, from the device under test, and then you could by hand write these things, write down the numbers, and determine rather arduously, but still determine the um, the characteristic curve of the device under test using the power meter, right? Absolutely. Like I said, it was uh, succumbing to uh, the deadly sin of sloth that uh, prompted this whole thing. I was tired of writing numbers down and, and plotting them one at a time. Ah, perfect. Okay, well, that makes a lot of sense, and I'm hoping this is kind of clicking in with some listeners if they've uh, if they also wondered uh, about that too. So, Jim, um, uh, can you since we're talking about the bo the boards um, and such, can you give us some insight as far as like when uh, new boards are going to be available? Your next versions uh, of the boards you were alluding to. Yeah. Okay, George. Uh, and just for, for those listening, the first run is uh, is gone. We had uh, 140 of them done, and they're gone. But I noticed uh, in the last, well, since the 1st of December, we've had over 30 to join the group. So uh, there's a lot of folks who've joined the group to, to get in on the uh, the board runs. So uh, I do plan uh, to do another run. First of all, I made uh, about three mistakes in the uh, the original run. I do want to correct those. 
uh, for, by the way, anybody who's building on the original set, there's a builder alert that's posted. Be sure to read that. But we'll do some more to correct it. I, I'm suspecting, and, and this is probably worth a discussion at another time, that uh, I'll only do the, uh, the the Mimic, the ERA3 version in the second run. It's, it seems to just be a simple design. And so far, even though, uh, like you said, George, uh, there's some warnings about using that thing, uh, it seems to have been successful to this point. So that's more than likely. And of course, because of the size, we'll still be able to uh, tack on uh, the little power meter. And uh, I'll address something that Joe had mentioned about the, the grounding and so on. I had some very, very uh, productive discussions with uh, Mike Doty, who was part of the M-Cubed uh, group uh, that made some very fine instruments for hams uh, up until when they uh, they sort of closed shop a couple years ago. But he gave me some really good tips on, uh, on handling that uh, front end for the 8307. So the next run of those uh, should be even better uh, than the one that's out now. Uh, so I, I, I would say time frame, this won't happen until after the Christmas holidays. I'll probably get into January and we'll be looking at another run of boards, George. Okay, Jim, that's great information. And we can uh, we can uh, definitely put that in the, in the queue here for... Um, things coming up along the way here. We're getting a little bit later in time right now, and what we want to be doing is uh, I want to touch on, and Jerry, maybe you can help us out with this, and I don't know if this is your specific area, or maybe this now starts getting into either Nick or uh, Jack's area, but you guys can can, uh, correct me here. What I'd like to talk about is the actual results, the sweeps that are done, the data that is collected, the plots and the characteristic curves that we show by way of example uh, toward the bottom of the page, uh, we you guys have swept a, uh, a 4194 kilohertz crystal, a 5 megahertz crystal filter, and then I grabbed this from, um, I don't know, from, oh, I guess it was from Jack, W0FNQ. Jack, I assume that you have a, a MOBO um, filter set up. That's a, a mother, I forgot what MOBO stands for, but it's a, a componentized transceiver um, of a soft rock uh, type of quality. And uh, there's multiple filters on there, LPFs, that can be switched in and out. And those curves, uh, I'm guessing, represent each of the different bands that uh, the filter filter set covers. So, um, Jack, maybe this is uh, maybe this is a good time for you. Or I'll let you and Jim and Jerry figure out who to talk about. But I'd love data represented in the form that can be understood at a glance. And that's uh, precisely what's being done here, is it not? Uh, Can you hear me? I can indeed. Go ahead. Okay, this is Jack, and uh, yeah, um, the uh, I want to pay pay great uh, respect to to uh, to Jim and Jerry on putting this project together. It, uh, I was uh, in the middle of working on a project, uh, the STM32 SDR uh, project, and I was coming up against a band uh, pass filter problem, and I had my Bobo. Um, and I can't remember what it stands for myself right now, but it is an interface uh, board that connects to uh, either a, 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 a one of the soft rock uh, versions or our UHF uh, SDR version by uh, uh, Dave Brainerd. Uh, anyway, uh, and I, I've been I was uh, thinking about using the Mobo filters uh, on the other project, and I. And in order to do that, I really wanted to find out how they were responding. And so this this project uh, came along, and it was great for me. Uh, the, what I, what you see here is is kind of a result of uh, taking what they had done, and I added a little.
little quick and dirty interface thanks to some folks at Parallax. They put out a uh, program called PLX DAQ. Uh, it's a little interface program that uh, uh, basically allows uh, Excel to communicate like a serial port. I was actually thinking about trying to write something in, in uh, Visual Basic to do that, but then I ran across the uh, Parallax version, and, and I so I used that and basically modified the Arduino sketch a little bit to get the input and output into Excel, and that's what you see here on the on the uh, the draft it, uh, or the uh, the one called Mobo Filters. Uh, and what I did was um, I've got a little uh, switching uh, circuit board. I switched the filters in, and this this graph took me maybe I'm going to say 40 minutes, 30 or 40 minutes to produce with, a, and maybe not even that long because I was playing around a bit. Uh, it's very fast, and um, I just set up the the extents for the uh, sweeps from uh, one to 30, and then basically would run one, and then I, what I did in Excel. Uh, it automatically adjusts the uh, the scaling and everything. So I just copied those those uh, areas of the uh, of the spreadsheet over to another sheet, and then accumulated all uh, uh, eight of the uh, of the filters on that one sheet and did a quick plot. So that's what you see here. I'll pass it back to you, George. Oh, that's great. And um, Jack, did you have input on the actual data collection process that is represented in the crystal filter um, scans above? No, I didn't. Okay, well, maybe that was. Uh, and before I before I leave you again, thanks for thanks for hopping in here tonight, and also for that PLA uh, PLX DAQ. I'm going to get some of these notes onto the whiteboard uh, updated, such that this will be a good record of, of a lot of the information we're talking about here tonight. Uh, so that's great. Um, before we lose it, and I'm wondering if. Um, well, uh, Jim or Jerry, uh, kind of like, uh, what, what's the background or the the genesis of the the plots that were shown there for the crystal filters? Um, how was that done? Who did it? Oh, okay. The uh, the, the one you see that says DDS sweep of uh, 4194. That actually was the uh, the proof of concept for prototype one. Uh, could I send a signal out? Could I read it back? Back in, and I really wasn't. It wasn't terribly calibrated. It, it was just figure out if you can get an input and an output signal in. Does it look? Are they laid on top of one another? And they did. And once that was was generated, I, I knew we had a, a, a system that, that would work. It was just a question of making it better. One below, I'll uh, give two, which was the one that really proved the concept that the uh, the amplifiers and the attenuators were doing their job. Isn't that right, Jerry? Yeah, guys. I uh, what I did on this uh, on this crystal filter. Now this is a very poor crystal filter. It wasn't meant to be a pretty one. It was meant to kind of test a unit rather than test a filter. Although, now that I tested a filter, I don't like it, and that's what test equipment is supposed to tell you. So, but this is a, a, a Gaussian to minus 60 dB, about a, 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 and it's about, uh, I think, 11 or 1200 hertz wide. I had, I had built it for, I was planning to use it in a receiver, but now that I look at it, I actually don't like it. I was going to use it for a uh, for a, uh, a digital, you know, mode type filter. You know, uh, Gaussian uh, filters work well for digital modes, and they don't ring, and, you know, like, uh, like uh, oh, most of the other filters will. They're, and the reason why, at least best my understanding, is that they're not real sharp roll-off, and so you don't get the, the sharp roll-off, I understand, causes ringing. 
But after I looked at it, I said, man, this thing is ugly. And, and that's basically what we're supposed to do with this thing. You either run it and say, wow, I really like that filter or wow, that thing sucks. So <laughs> back to you, George. Yeah, I know what you mean, Jerry. That truly is indeed the case. Uh, sometimes ignorance is bliss. But if you really want to see what your signal sounds like, if you want to see what your circuits are performing like, put some test equipment on it. And you more, I, I more often than not am disappointed, but um, relative to what I thought it was. And uh, but that's an opportunity to to make it better, to choose a different component or or whatever. So you're right on in that regard. Um, these these plots are just perfect. Uh, Jim, uh, when you hear the recording here later on, you'll see that you were you'll hear that you were dropping out almost every other syllable sometime. That's caused by one of two things usually, maybe even three. Talking too close to the mic. Um, is is kind of overmodulating things, and um, a second cause of it might be just uh, slow bandwidth on whatever computer you're using to connect to the internet and other programs, other things that are take, sucking up the bandwidth and the voice uh, channel suffers a little bit. And a third one might be if you were running on Wi-Fi and if you're kind of like far away from your Wi-Fi and the bandwidth, the overall bandwidth suffers. So just an FYI, up until now, it's been just really great listening to you. It's not a big problem. And we could actually interpolate pretty easily from uh, uh, the, the parts that we did here. Um, this is uh, super information. We're going to start wrapping it up. I do have one more question. I do want to get back to the uh, to Nick, WA5BDU. Nick, I don't want to put you on the spot at all, but I was really, really impressed with your Excel spreadsheet process of determining um, spread of data and the correction factors and the regression um, uh, done for it to come up with a calibration curve. Could you touch on that just real briefly? Well, first let me see if you hear me. Can hear you just fine, thanks. Okay. Uh, now, as far as the, uh, the spreadsheet, uh, you may be talking about something uh, Jim did uh, offline from the program, but uh, I, I, one of the mods I did to the program was to have it uh, calculate uh, the slope and intercept and then save it to double EEPROM so you'd have it. Uh, and I did a simple method using two points, uh, you know, the two points. And, and Jim said, yeah, that's nice. Uh, but he sent me a pointer to a, a web page with some math for statistics and said, you know, you could use this formula and users can input multiple points throughout the range. And of course, there's going to be data scatter. And this, uh, this uh, formula or summation is a statistical uh, technique will give, I guess, a good fit or a best fit uh, slope and intercept line, whereas if you just use two points, you know, picked at random, it may be skewed. So, uh, as I said, I don't I don't really understand statistics that well, but I was able to understand the formula well enough to translate it in, into code and incorporate it into the program. So, uh, that, that uh, was my uh, contribution on that point. Go ahead. I think what I liked about it, Nick, was the clear and step-by-step -step way that you described it in that PDF that's located in the Yahoo group uh, uh, files area. So thank you. Uh, thanks for describing that a bit. Um, folks, we're just about out of time. We could go on for hours, and maybe we even will after the show closes down, but... You know, we, we put a hard cap on like an hour and a hour and 15 minutes, hour and 20 minutes for these things. Um, just to make sure that we get through most of the good information, the, the, the high level information for everybody to get, um, within that period of time. Um, I guess we would, uh, uh Joe, you, you and I would probably, uh, urge everybody to do as you and I have been doing, and that is to join into the Yahoo group, um, called PHSNR, uh, SNA, Poor Ham's 
Scalar Network Analyzer. And um, it's easy to sign up. And whether you like it or not, you know, the look of the uh, Yahoo groups these days, um, the information is what I like. And that's that's what's there regardless. And it's a great uh, it's full of information about the project. And as Jim and Jerry have been indicating, it's, it's still evolving. And you can plug yourself into it and follow along. Um, I've got my boards uh, on the way through some other generous, uh, uh, another generous guy who's uh, sharing a second set with me. And uh, I'll be building mine up along the way, too. Joe and I had been experimenting, uh, uh, as I alluded to a bit. Joe, maybe you want to take a, a moment and just mention a, a very quick, you know, as far as the, uh, the photographs at the bottom of the page regarding the uh, sweeper input card um essentially your your design i uh, i created it and you and i kind of tweaked it and measured it and integrated it to the micro 908 and tell us briefly what it is there i, I think uh, there are many ways to skin a cat in electronics with test equipment jim mentioned it up front and uh, this is another way but uh, this is we've talked about this before in chat with the designers and that's why i bring it up to kind of relate back to some of the power measurement techniques that we talked about before and and so on joe you want to talk about the sic Sure. Yeah, as, as George mentioned at the bottom of the uh, bottom of the whiteboard, we have a picture of the uh, sweeper input card and then uh, the AA908 antenna analyzer. Pardon me. What we've been doing was uh, we wanted to do a manual. Uh, we wanted to do a uh, sweeper of sorts to do something very similar to what the uh, PHSNA did. Um, so we came up with a uh, card that can plug into the AA908 and uh, some software to use the uh, 908 to act as a sweeper. And then uh, a detector, this uh, sweeper input card is a detector, indeed using the uh, AD8307 uh, chip uh, as the RF detector. And we didn't bother with the frequency. Uh, yeah, okay, Nick, thanks for, the, uh, thanks for the link. Widener University, boy, that's near me. That's down in Delaware, or uh, down in Chester. Um, we use the 8307, but not the, uh, the uh, input uh, uh, Frequency compensation network because we weren't going above uh, 50 or 60 megahertz. But if you look at the card, um, circuits similar to uh, what uh, Wes Hayward used, we didn't bother with the op amps. We figured we'd do the scaling in the processor. But um, among the things that was um, kind of problematic, I alluded to earlier that the, the uh, 8307 is a wideband chip. And to totally eliminate the uh, uh, noise to it. We put all the circuits, uh, all the components on the top side of a uh, double-sided board. We used uh, surface mount components. And if you look at the board there, you can see kind of coppery square around the circuitry. We actually made a little cover out of um, hobby um, tin plate metal and soldered a shield cover on. And that was the final thing we did uh, so that we could have a, uh, a high dynamic range RF detector on an open board without having to put it in another enclosure. So just a little different way of doing things and uh, we never got around to automating the process of doing the sweeping uh, like uh, Jim and and uh, um, yeah my uh, my thoughts are escaping me Jim and Jerry have done we didn't automate it and uh, put it into a spreadsheet and all those good things it really makes it useful uh, it was one of those things where we took it just so far and figured well someday maybe we'll improve it but um, these guys have done a good job with uh, something that uh, something is uh, excellent addition to anybody's ham shack uh, got to hand it to the guys and uh, we're very glad that uh, we could kind of latch on to uh, both of them and of course Nick and uh, uh, John I think it was uh, Jack to uh, also describe the process so that uh, they get a little little more visibility um, 
an actual some interchange with uh, with people that you don't always get on a um, on a, a, a group like a Yahoo group, so that uh, we could spread the word and um, get more people interested in this project. Oh, that's good, Joe. That's a good wrap up because that that's kind of like where I wanted to uh, to take it next with is that sharing sharing the information like this is really. Really, I think it's really interesting, and I hope that those listening uh, here live tonight and on the podcast later are going to find this of uh, of interest, and um, maybe to dig into a little bit on yourselves, uh, by yourselves, and on your own, and to get the board set, perhaps, or even build it up in some fashions, like we we have that uh, that hybrid shown at the bottom of the page. They actually used uh, um, the Arduino and and um, uh, the BDU code, Jack's uh, Jack's code there. Not Jack. That must be um, Nick's. Sorry, Nick's code. I forgot what version number I put in it. And I connected it up to the DDS60. I had to modify the the DDS uh, control a little bit to talk to a DDS60 instead of the DDS30. And uh, connected that SIC card. And lo and behold, it works. I mean, it's just uh, proof of concept and a lot of shielding that needs to be done if we were to take it. But I think I'm just going to focus on on the uh, the SSNA approach. When I get my boards, I'm going to go gangbusters on getting that thing working. I'd like to share my results back into the uh, Yahoo group and um, iterate with Jim and Jerry as, as they kind of take it to the next steps and, and so on, provide some data along the way. Joe, I know you're going to do the same thing with your boards too, and uh, we're going to have some fun doing that. So before we wrap her up here tonight, I'm wondering if anybody has any other questions, some, something on your mind that we could touch on quickly before we break. Go ahead. Charles, yes, sir, go ahead. Hey, yeah, just real quick. I don't know if this is feasible or if it's even worth it, and, cause I and I might have missed it, but I'll make it quick. Um, if you if you wanted to have, uh, say, uh, your your oscilloscope in addition to um, the power meter, the W7ZOI, uh, and I know you get a hard XY data set coming out of the terminal uh, link, but anyway, uh, would it, how feasible or not feasible would it be, or even worth doing if you like had a output from the Arduino, an extra output to plug into the back of your oscilloscope and the Z axis, so that you could really just glance at a oscilloscope sweep all the the really precise data coming through or would it interfere with the device under test a lot jim or jerry uh this is jim uh in principle doable uh the problem being that about the fastest you can sweep that uh, dds is something on the order of about a thousand steps per second and for any reasonable width of sweep uh, you'd end up having to have have uh, either a high persistent scope or a digital storage scope and of course those are getting fairly inexpensive these days in order to display now feasible to do the Arduino has the ability to give you a uh, an analog output it uses pulse width pulse width modulation so it could actually generate a DC signal that could used for the X could be used for the X axis uh, sweep with the output of the power meter as the uh, the Y axis so you could get the conventional sort of, uh, of analyzer present Presentation, but you'd, it, you'd have to do it in such a way that you'd either be able to store it or have the persistence necessary. That's actually the, the issue that uh, Steve Weber raised when we first discussed it. And he said, I don't think it would work too well unless you had the storage scope. And what led us to the, uh, the file capture and uh, an Excel display. Go ahead, George. Uh, great, great question. Thanks, Charles, and uh, and a logical explanation there too. I guess if you had a a good long persistence uh, scope and you had the sweep on the fastest rate, that might be something you could do. Um, and uh, or even maybe a plotter. Uh, who knows? Any other questions, Any other questions before, we before we wrap it? 
How about Pedro? storing, if the uh, Arduino had enough uh, memory, how about uh, storing it in an array and uh, reading it out of the array kind of uh, in parallel time-wise so that uh, you got a continuous sweep across the scope with the data being pre uh, data being uh, generated by the uh, uh, by the Arduino. Ah, digital recorder. I, th I think we'd need uh, probably you know, some auxiliary memory. I, I think the... Uh the SRAM on the Arduino is only a couple of K, and I'm not sure you could store enough points, but uh, but there are ways to add memory to it. Also, uh, guys, uh, there's the uh, counter output on the interface board that Jim laid out, and you could probably just hook your scope directly on that counter output and use that. Use that essentially as a horizontal time base? Well, you, you're, what you're going to get out of that is the is the uh, output of the uh, of the uh, uh, the actual sweep going in is what I'm saying, and so you could look at one side that would be one side, the other side you'd have to take it out of the out of the uh, uh, what do you call it the uh, if I can remember the uh, uh, the power meter of some sort, right? And it's easy to get alternate outputs out of the power meter. Now the problem is, though, like like Jim has said, uh, this thing is not the world's fastest sweeper. So unless you've got a DSO, I wouldn't even attempt any of it. Interesting to think about these things, though. That's for sure. Alrighty, we're going to wrap things up. Uh, yeah, Terry, go ahead. Yeah, a couple of things real quick. Um, if you use a, a Mega, an Arduino Mega or a Duo or one of the newer ones, one of the larger chips, you probably could drive a TFT LCD screen with a touchscreen and build a user interface that way, which would probably be easier to do than the scope. Um, if you add a directional coupler to this and use two of the RF, panel, or RF power boards, um, you can measure forward and reflective power and get rid of the uh, issues with um, calibration. So um, if you measure what's going in and what's coming out, you don't have to worry about the, um, the sine X over X of the DDS output. And a few years ago, I did uh, something very similar to this with uh, one of the David Brainerd uh, 9951 uh, DDS and QSD boards. It used a PIC 2455, and I had Visual C code working and had it all working except the, um, the Windows driver for the PIC chip would occasionally um, get sick and die, and then it would all freeze. But uh, I've done a bunch of sweeping and stuff using, using uh, uh, Visual, Visual C Sharp uh, that's back in the old um, David Brainerd um, days. Really interesting. And I guess you had a sick pick. <laughs> Just uh, the um, uh, a lot of different things that could be done, and I think that's some of the fun of these projects is that they can be taken in different directions by multiple people and at the same time, and that's that's part of the experimentation and the, and the fun in this hobby. So Joe kind of wrapped uh, had the good summary as far as like why we're here and the good uh, the benefit that we had in overviewing the project from this sense with everybody present and and uh, had a good time doing it. And I really wanted to thank both Jim and uh, Jerry for. Uh, for showing up here and guiding us through the project and kind of where it came from, where it's going to, and how we can all participate. And then also some of the other guys who are have been integral in the in the development uh, and evaluation of it. They're in the Yahoo group, um, Jack and uh, Nick, and and probably some of the others in here. Thanks an awful lot for uh, attending and helping out. And I hope this can uh, help provide some great information for others in that group. And I hope it's of interest for a lot of the, uh, the regular podcast listeners here on Chat with the Designers. Um, we're going to have, um, if, if you haven't... Uh, been with chat with the designers before it'll be a couple of days before i get the podcast loaded onto the website again and uh, people can download it and 
and refer back to different areas. And we'll have additional fill-in information here on the website as uh, as we collected it here tonight. And also, per usual, what we do is try to provide a pretty good reference, set of reference material, a bibliography, as it were, at the bottom of the web page of the whiteboard. And uh, in this case here, I just uh, took right from uh, Jim and Jerry's uh, overview document with permission, the different uh, sources and resources that were used as far as developing the project all along here. So check it out. Most especially, check out the Yahoo group for SSNA, or the, the PS8, the PS, um, SNA, um, Poor Hams Scalar Network Analyzer. So check that out, and I think you'll be in, uh, impressed with the work that's going on here, and maybe you can help contribute to the state of the art here with us. So Jim, Jerry, thank you very much. Thank you, everybody else, for attending. Joe, thanks for your able help here tonight and uh, in preparing especially. And uh, and we hope to see everybody again back here uh, probably after the holidays. We're not going to have another episode of Chat with the Designers uh, uh, before Christmas. It's only just a couple of weeks away. And uh, when we do come back, though, the next project, remember the project focus we have, we're going to dig into deep on the RF Power Cube. That's the RF amplifier for the SDR Cube product line. And uh, the product is uh, at that time going to be completely unveiled. And we'll be talking about schematic design approach, algorithms, as far as the, some of the secret sauce uh, um, software that is behind the scenes, how it integrates with the power cube, with the SDR cube transceiver or any other um, transceiver, like QRP transceiver to give you um, a wump and 20 watts output. So we'll be getting into the RF power cube next time. Thank you all for attending Chat with the Designers. This is George N2APB and Joe N2CX saying good night all and uh, have a happy holidays, everybody. Mm-hmm.